Emily Lynn, who is very, very familiar with Grace Church. She is the director of resettlement for Canopy. She plays an integral and often tireless role for each and every family that comes to Northwest Arkansas, especially the ones that Grace has been able to host. So for Emily to be our teacher this week, on the scriptures that focus on justice and faithfulness, well, I am just personally excited to hear her personal insights and all that she has to share. So we're going to pray for Emily. God, we ask for your anointing. Every word that Emily speaks, every word that she shares, God, that it is anointed with your insight, your divine message. And God, for every person in this room, I just pray that you wake us up, that you shake us, that you impart your message into our hearts, our lives, that we take action where you direct us. Bless this time, God. And again, we are so glad to be here. Amen. Mike, is that working? Okay, perfect. Thank you all so much for having me. Um, it's really an honor to be with you this morning. My name is Emily Lynn, and um, this is my first time ever teaching in front of a church, so it's a real honor, and this is really special for me. And uh, you guys should be very happy to know that I've invited my 16-year-old brother-in-law here this morning, and we've come up with some hand gestures, so if I'm really bombing and I'm losing everybody, he's going to give me the hand gesture. So you guys are going to be fine. You're not going to have to sit through anything too boring. So I, this, our passage this morning talks a lot about justice. So I wanted to share with you all uh, the story of the first time that I was ever really confronted with the problem of injustice in this world. Um, and I was 17. And that might tell you something about me, that I was able to go 17 years without really ever having to think about the problem of justice or injustice. Um, I had just graduated from high school, and I was in a discipleship training school through YWAM, which, considering who your lead pastor is, I'm assuming most of you are familiar with YWAM. If you're not, you can just Google it. Uh, but anyway, discipleship training school, you do three months of um, Bible teaching, um, and then at the end of those three months, you do about two months of outreach somewhere else. And so um, my outreach was in Haiti. And this was just after the earthquake had hit Port-au-Prince. And so um, what I was doing for the most part in the first month I was there was a lot of disaster relief. And we were working a lot with people who'd been displaced by the earthquake. Um, and so there was one day when my team and I were, we were in a tent city, which is kind of pictured here. There were lots of these cities that popped up um, in the aftermath of the earthquake for people whose houses had been destroyed. Um, and we went, we went into one of these tent cities to do um, kind of like a day camp uh, for some kids there. And while we were there, uh, I met this, there was this little girl who was maybe three or four who was carrying um, this other little girl, like a, a tiny baby on her shoulder or on her hip. Um, and the little baby was, you could tell she was really malnourished, which um, unfortunately I saw a lot of that when I was in Haiti. Um, she had, the, the roots of her hair were kind of going orange, 
um, which was a sign of not having enough nutrients in her food. She was very thin. Um, she wasn't wearing any pants, as far as I can remember, any shoes. And I didn't see her parents anywhere. She was just with this, with her little, her, this little girl who was her older sister. And I asked her older sister what her name was. And she told me her name was Emily. And that's my name. <laughs> and for me, that was the moment where phew, I really confronted this question of justice for the first time. Because here I was, here were two Emilies that I presume, or I had been taught, were equally beloved by their creator. Uh, they were created, you know, just maybe 16 years apart and maybe a couple hundred miles apart. But I had been given so much. I, had, I was planning to go to college as soon as I finished my time in Haiti. I had a car waiting for me back home. I had some money in my bank account. I'd never, ever known hunger. And this little girl, um, you know, statistically had a decent chance that she wouldn't even make it past her fifth birthday. And for me, that was like, I had to kind of confront for the first time, how is that just? And if that's not just, which it doesn't seem like it could possibly be just, then what am I supposed to do about it? Um, and I'm sure many of you have all had similar moments, the first time where you can remember kind of encountering this question of justice and injustice. Um, and so what we're going to talk about today are, are those exact questions. Um, the scripture we're going to read, we're going to kind of unpack that together. Um, and so um, our scripture this morning comes from uh, the, the book of Micah. We're going to be starting in Micah 1, verses 3 through 5. Look, the Lord is coming out from his place. He will go down and tread on the shrines of the earth. Then the mountains will melt under him. The valleys will split apart like wax yielding to the fire like waters poured down a slope. All this is for the crime of Jacob and the sins of the house of Israel. Who was responsible for the crime of Jacob? Isn't it Samaria? Who was responsible for the shrines of Judah? Isn't it Jerusalem? So in this passage, and I'm just going to go ahead and give you a disclaimer, I am not a biblical scholar at all. So what I'm about to share with you all is just stuff that I researched this week in preparation for teaching this morning. Um, so just take it with a grain of salt. And if you know way more or if I'm wrong, then uh, feel free to correct me. But my understanding is that Micah was written around the same time um, as the book of Jeremiah. And what was going on was um, the kingdom of Judah, which is the southern kingdom, um, they were headed on the wrong path. They were headed down this track of rebellion that we'd seen in the northern kingdom in Israel. And Micah, in, in this book here, he is trying to shake the people out of their stupor. He's trying to wake them up and get them to repent. Um, and so what he's warning of here, he's warning that, um, you know, that they're going to face the same fate that their neighbors to the north have faced. And that um, the, because they have not been faithful to uphold their part of the covenant, that God is going to be, I mean, his faithfulness is going to have to rebuke them and bring them back to him. So he's warning. And then at this point, the people here would probably have a concept of what was coming um, because of what they've already seen happen to their neighbors in, in the kingdom of Israel in the north. So this is supposed to inspire a little bit of uh, a little bit of tension, a little bit of fear in the hearts of the people who are hearing it. It's supposed to wake them up a little bit. Our second passage is from Micah chapter 5, um, and that says, as for you, Bethlehem of Ephrathah, 
Though you are the least of Judah's forces, one who is to be a ruler in Israel on my behalf will come out from you. His origin is from remote times, from ancient days. Therefore, he will give them up until the time when she who is in labor gives birth. The rest of his kin will return to the people of Israel. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. They will dwell secure, because he will surely become great throughout the earth. He will become one of peace. When Assyria invades our land and treads down our fortresses, then we will raise up against him seven shepherds and eight human princes." So this second passage here is kind of the second tone that Micah is taking. So Micah, in, his, in the book, he goes back and forth between um, this word of rebuke and of, of almost instilling a little bit of a fear in people, of warning them of what's coming, and then of reminding them of God's faithfulness. And ultimately here, we can see he's prophesying um, you know, that Jesus is going to be coming um, and that he will um, you know, ultimately uh, bring this, this whole new covenant for the people, for God's people. Um, and so there's this reminder of how greatly we have sinned and how great God's faithfulness is. And that's what we're seeing in these two um, passages here this morning. And then our final passage is the question of how do we respond to that? When we're confronted with how great our sin is and how great our rebellion is, when we're confronted with how great God's faithfulness is, what do we do with that? How do we respond? And the people of Judah, they had some pretty good ideas, they thought, for how they could respond. They said, what does the Lord require? With what should I approach the Lord and bow down before God on high? Should I come before him with entirely burned offerings, with year-old calves? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams and many torrents of oil? Should I give my oldest child for my crime, the fruit of my body for the sin of my spirit? He has told you, human one, what is good and what the Lord requires of you. To do justice, embrace faithful love, and walk humbly with your God. So that's where God responds to them. So first the people of Israel are saying, what do you want, God? Do you want sacrifices? Do you want oil? Do you want our firstborn? What, what do you want? And God's response to that is, actually, I don't want any of that. And that brings me to kind of the first point that I got out of this passage when I was studying it preparing for it. It's that God doesn't really care for our acts of religious fervor. You know, all the things that those people were describing in that passage are good things. Those are things that God has actually asked his people to do before. If you think about it, God asked Abraham to sacrifice his firstborn child. God commanded the people of Israel to make atonement for their sins with sacrifices. Those are all things that God likes, but that was not what God was looking for. And this passage reminded me a little bit of a passage in Amos, chapter 5, which I learned that Amos came before Micah, um, and so it's possible people might have even had this scripture in their minds already when they heard what Micah was telling them, so this might have been familiar. The passage comes from Micah five, or Amos 5, 21 through 24, and it says, at least in my translation, I hate, I despise your feast days, and I do not savor your sacred assemblies. Though you offer me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them, nor will I regard your fattened peace offerings. Take away from me the noise of your songs, for I will not hear the melody of your stringed instruments. But let justice run down like water, and righteousness like a mighty stream. Do you think, I don't think God really dislikes it when we make music. I don't think he dislikes it when we make offerings, right? I mean, I think God was pleased by our worship this morning. 
And I think he was pleased when the people of Israel would offer him burnt offerings in return for their, in response to their sin. But I think what God is saying here is that what pleases him is not a performance that we think he's going to like to see, but a, a, a right heart and a right way of living. And when I think about this, I was trying to think about an allegory for it. Now, I don't have any kids, but I was once a kid, and I was actually one of those firstborns that I think my parents would have been happy to sacrifice to God at some point in time, because <laughs> I was not always very easy to parent. And, um, uh, and I can think of moments where my mom would say something to me like, be respectful, you know, and I would say something like, yes, mom, <laughs> you know, and so I'm saying the right thing. I'm saying, yes, mom, um, I'm performing in the way that she has asked me to perform. But the problem is she can totally see through that. And there's no respect in my heart. <laughs> I am saying, yes, mom, because she told me to say, yes, mom, and that is it. There is nothing there. So I think that's kind of what God is getting at here. You know, so the people are asking God, what's the right response? You know, we recognize our sinfulness. We recognize your faithfulness. What do you want us to do? And the thing he says for us not to do is to try and perform, to try and act out the way that he, the way that we think we want, he wants us to act. So what does he want us to do? Well, the good news is that this is actually a really nice and straightforward passage. I love this passage because sometimes um, Jesus spoke in parables and some of the things that are in the Bible are really hard to understand. But this passage is so straightforward. It says, what does the Lord require of you? these three things. And there's the, this, the following verses is translated um, really different ways in different versions, so that's kind of funny. The version we just read just now, I think, said something like, live justly, love um, acts of faithfulness, and live obediently, or something like that. Um, my translation says to, um, to do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. So I love this passage because it's so, it's so straightforward, and we can just start to unpack that, and I think we can really get a picture for how God wants us to live. So let's talk about that first one. Do justly. Live, carry out justice, however you want to translate it. Um, just now, before we got started, you all were working on thinking of definitions of justice, and I'm wondering if I could get a little bit of audience participation, and if you wouldn't mind sharing with me a couple of the words that came to mind. What does it mean to you um, to carry out justice, or what does justice look like when we, when we carry it out on earth? Sorry? Redeem the sinner. Yes, that's awesome. What else? Vengefulness. Okay. Yeah. Upholding human dignity. That's wonderful. One more. Doing what's right. Doing what's right. Yeah, I think that's great. Um, for me, um, I've kind of come up with a, a definition of what it looks like to do justly or to carry out justice. And this is by no means, again, I'm not a biblical scholar. So this is just coming from my experience with God and how I feel like he's convicted me. So continue to think about how you think God wants you to define carrying out justice. But for me... I think to carry out justice means to recognize the grace, or you might call it the privilege, that God has given me, and use it on behalf of those to whom less has been given when they come across my path. So recognize the grace or the privilege that God has given me, and use it on behalf of those to whom less has been given who come across my path. And that, again, that's just the definition that I feel like God has 
put on my heart, but you can think about what makes sense to you. But if we take that as our definition for this morning, then I think the first step of that is recognizing the grace that God has given us and the privilege that we have, which for some of us is going to be a lifelong journey because we um, tend to gravitate towards people who are like us, who have similar amounts of privilege to us. And so we have a really hard time recognizing how much privilege and how much grace we have. In fact, we tend to notice more the things that we don't have when we're with people who are a lot like us. We notice, oh man, she has those new shoes that I've really been wanting, or you know, their kitchen has, is so much nicer, they have concrete countertops or whatever the case is. When in fact, you know, when we end up spending time with people who are really different from us, it allows us to see our privilege and the grace that God has given us in a new way. And that's why it took me 17 years to realize that there was really injustice in the world was because I'd spent 17 years around people who were pretty much just like me in a lot of ways. And it took me going to Haiti to realize, whoa, <laughs> I have a lot of grace that's been given to me. And to really understand that not in an abstract way, but in a concrete way. So I think that's the first step for a lot of us, is just learning, realizing our privilege. And that is going to take a lot of effort, and a lot of times it's going to take us getting outside our bubble and getting outside the people we normally spend time with, because that's really the only way we can internalize it. And then from there, if we, if we take that as the beginning step, then we have to understand that this doesn't mean that we have to, um, in order to carry out justice, we don't have to work in a justice vocation. And I think that's something that sometimes some people can get hung up on, is we think, oh, well, you know, if I worked, yeah, I could work for International Justice Mission, but I can't do that. I mean, I'm working for, for Walmart Home Office, and so justice just isn't something that God has, you know, given me. That's not a calling I'm called to. Um, or in my case, you know, people might think, oh, yeah, it's really easy for you to care about this, Emily. You work with refugees. That's a justice issue. So, you know, you have a, a free pass. But in reality, it's, we are all called, I think, to this calling of carrying out justice. And it can look differently for different people. Um, but so think about, um, you know, if we take that definition again of, um, you know, using the privilege and the grace that's been given to us on behalf of those to whom less has been given, if we keep our eyes open, there are people who come across our path all the time, every day, to whom less has been given. And these might be people we come across in person, or these might be people we come across digitally, you know, we, issues we become aware of, you know, because of our news media consumption. Um, but if we keep our eyes open, we all have opportunities to carry out justice. And so justice, carrying out justice is not something, you don't have to quit your job and go, you know, move to India and work with um, Indian orphans like, um, you know, Mother Teresa did to be someone who carries out justice. You can carry out justice right here, right now, in your neighborhood, in your home, um, and in the place where you are working. And I think if we, if we start by, by identifying the grace and the privilege that's been given to us and then opening our eyes, God can really start to work through us. Then the problem is, though, that justice or injustice is so big and it can take so many forms and we can get really, really overwhelmed so how do we carry out injustice when injustice is so big? You know, um, if we start to open our eyes, if we start this process, we go down this journey, we can really quickly want to shut down because we're confronted with so many different forms of injustice. You know, there's migrant caravans and human trafficking, and there's the war in Yemen, and there's the war in Syria, and there's homeless veterans, and there's homeless non-veterans, and there's hungry children, and I mean, it's just there's too much, right? And so a lot of us, think about this, this might have been you, you know, you, you see it and you just kind of 
you kind of clam up. And you can, it's, we're, as a, a sign of our privilege, is that we can put blinders on and we can kind of say, okay, that's not, that's not my focus. That's not, not something I need to care about. And I hear this sometimes where people might say, for example, um, oh, I just don't feel called to the refugee problem. That's great. I'm so glad you're called. I don't feel called to that. And I think to myself, well, that's really convenient for you that you're not called to that. But I think we're all called to care about every issue of injustice that we come across. And I say that knowing that that is a really big thing. And I'm sorry. <laughs> but we, I think we really are all called to care about every issue of injustice that God brings to our attention that we become aware of. And that can seem like a big burden. It can seem like, well, if I'm supposed to care about everything, how do I, where do I start? And to that I would say, there's this quote that I just recently heard that I think is really inspiring, and that's, do not be afraid of work that never ends. So don't, don't let that stop you. It, it can be really, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Paralyzing. <laughs> when, you, when you think about, okay, I, am I really supposed to care about every issue of injustice that I become aware of? That's, it, it, can be, it can be paralyzing. And you're like, I don't even know where to start. But you just got to start. And I think that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to live a lifestyle where when we become aware of injustice, we look for ways to start caring about that injustice, no matter where we are. And a lot of times, caring about injustice just starts with learning about it. For a lot of us, that's the first step, just learning about it. And we don't like to take that step because once we learn about it, then we might have to do something about it. And that's, again, that's overwhelming. But I think that's something that is a really good step for us to take. And I'll say, I'll just give an example. Really recently, um, we just had our election on Tuesday, and one of the issues that was on the ballot was an issue about voter ID, which to me and probably to a lot of you seems like a no-brainer, like we should have IDs for voting. And I had heard from some people that they felt really concerned about that. And so, you know, they were saying it was unjust. And to me, I wanted to, I, I decided that I needed to learn about why that might be the case. And I, I didn't know anything about that because I've always had an ID and it's not hard for me to get an ID. And I don't know why we wouldn't want everybody just have an ID when they go to vote. Um, but anyway, so I started to do a little bit of research into it. Um, and, you know, I, I learned that it could be, you know, really, really challenging for some people um, who don't have the same privilege and grace that I have to get the documents that they need to get their IDs, go through the bureaucratic government systems and you know, and get that, get that piece of ID. And that could be like this big, big process that makes it impossible for them to participate in, you know, the voting process and have their voice heard. Anyway, that's a, kind of a, a tangent, but I'm just saying that was an example where um, I heard about an injustice and I didn't know anything about it. I didn't understand why it was even really an injustice and I couldn't make an informed decision on it. And so my first step in that situation was to talk to somebody who felt that this was unjust and to learn from them so that from there I could think about, okay, well, what is the right thing to do? And so for a lot of us, um, you know, if it's an issue like this migrant caravan that's coming up from Mexico or, um, you know, uh, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict or something like that, you know, we, we've kind of all actively chosen, I think, in a way not to get too invested in it, not to get too involved, and we're we're making a choice, we're using privilege to not care about it by not learning about it. So I think for some of us, if you're wondering, okay, well, if I'm supposed to care about injustice, where do I start? A lot of you can just start by just learning about it.
talking to someone who knows something about it, reading about it, asking about it. And then from there, God might give you some ideas and God might show you how he might want you to get involved in combating that injustice. And then my last point I want to make about this carry out justice command is that there is a difference between carrying out justice and bragging about caring about justice, which I think there's a fine line there, and it can be hard for us to know where that line is, where we do so much of our life on social media, and we do so much of our life um, out in the public where everyone can see it, and um, a lot of times it, it's really easy to just repost something or share something um, and feel like good about ourselves, like we did something about it. Um, and I'll just say that I think the difference between carrying out justice and bragging about caring about justice is that the one usually requires something of us. So carrying out justice, you'll know you've carried out justice if it took a little something from you. And so for some of us, posting something on Facebook actually might require something of us. If you're posting about something that um, you know your friends or your family who are on Facebook might disagree with you, it's going to make Thanksgiving a little uncomfortable, um, then, you know, you've given something up. And that's, you know, you've, you have advanced, in my opinion, justice by sharing about it and by starting a conversation with people who might not otherwise care about this issue. But for some of us, if we're just, you know, reposting so people think of us as, oh yeah, she cares about justice issues, good for her. Um, you know, I see her, her Instagram feed is always full of all these, you know, these important causes that she cares about. If that's why we're doing it, um, then we know that we're, we're not, our hearts aren't really in the right place. And that's not really what God is talking about. That's not what he's calling us to. So when it comes to carrying out justice, kind of my three big bullet points are, um, that first of all, we're all called to it. You don't have to work in a uh, justice field. You don't have to quit your job and move overseas to, to carry out justice. You, need, you can carry out justice right where you are, no matter who you are, where you are, what you do. Second point um, is that, uh, you know, if you don't know where to start, just know that we don't have to be afraid of work that never ends. And a lot of times the best place to start is just by choosing to learn about the issue instead of running from it. And then the third point is that make sure to check your heart every once in a while and ask yourself whether you're really caring out justice or whether you're trying to make people think highly of you for caring about justice. Those are the kind of the three points about uh, caring out justice. The second thing God calls us to do, God asks his people to do in this passage, is to love faithfulness. Or in other translations, this might say love mercy or goodness. And our first thought is, you know, I think one of you said that justice to you means vengefulness. It means like righting the right, righting the wrong. Um, and so that kind of seems like it might be at odds with the idea of loving mercy. Because uh, we think of mercy as being like, oh, it's okay. And justice is, no, it's not okay. Um, but I think actually, as I was thinking about what this concept means of loving mercy or loving faithfulness, I think it actually sets us up to be able to carry out justice. Um, and I say that um, because if we think about, go back to that story in Haiti, um, God showed me as I was wrestling with him in that moment, you know, asking him, well, how, is it, how is this that you made two Emilys, you made me, you made this girl, and she has nothing, and she might not even get to live much longer because she looks like she's, you know, literally starving, and you know, I'm supposed to go back to America and go to college, and that's just normal and okay, and I was wrestling with him through this. And what he kind of spoke to me was that I shouldn't despise his mercy or his faithfulness 
and think I have to despise it if I'm going to care about justice. I don't have to resent him for giving me what he's given me or think that I have to abandon everything that he's given me to care about the fact that this little girl um, is clearly does not have her basic needs met. And in fact, he said, what he told me was that actually part of how it works is when you let my mercy, when you accept my mercy and you give my mercy freely, you, that's actually a way that you can carry out justice and you can actually um, bring justice about on this earth. And he gave me this picture that I've really hung on to over the years of, um, of wind. And so we are, whether you know it or not, we all really depend on wind. Um, we love a good breeze in the summertime, and wind also is, is absolutely essential to, you know, to keeping our planet functioning. Um, it brings rain um, from, you know, from one part of the planet to another. It keeps everything circulating, everything moving. We need wind to survive. And the way that wind is created, and again, I'm not a scientist, so you're hearing a lot of things from someone who's not an expert on any of these things, but my, my general understanding of how wind is created is you have areas of high barometric pressure and areas of low barometric pressure, areas where much there is much and areas where there is little. And there, when things flow from the areas of much to the areas of little, it creates wind. It creates this incredible thing that we all need to live and that we all really value. And likewise, when we allow um, God's mercy and God's grace to flow from those who have much to those who have little, I think there's something special that is created there. I think it's justice, and I think there's something that's very pleasing to God, and something that, um, that makes this world better uh, as a result, and that brings the kingdom of heaven to earth. So that's not to say that I don't think when God created the earth, I don't think he had in mind for two Emilys to be born a couple hundred miles apart and for one to have everything and one to have nothing. I don't think that's how he created this earth, but now that it has fallen and now that it is the way it is, I think that God um, brings something really beautiful about when we allow, when we love mercy and faithfulness, when we allow that mercy and that faithfulness to flow to us freely and to flow from us freely. And I think that's how I understand this part of that verse, is, is not to despise it, so don't go away from here feeling like, oh, I have to hate everything that God has given me, but be aware of it. And when you come across someone to whom God has not given those things, love mercy, love faithfulness towards them. Don't assume that they're in the position that they're in because of something wrong that they did or because, uh, yeah, because they're, they're less moral or, um, you know, whatever it is than you. But just let that mercy that God freely gave to you to flow freely to that person. And I think that there is something special that is created when we do that, just like the wind. And then the last point, carry out justice, love faithfulness, live obediently. Or in my translation, it says walk humbly. I think this one is just a reminder to us of what good relationship with God looks like. And you know, if we hear these two commands to love justice and love mercy, you know, we could start to think of ourselves as being very important and as though God really needs us. And I think this part is to remind us to walk humbly, to remind us of our place in relation to God. You know, so we need to, to walk humbly with him, which in my picture means not running ahead of him, not lagging behind either, but just walking by his side and asking him to, keep, to show us Show us where that injustice is. Show us where we should let that mercy flow freely. And be in submission to him. 
not let ourselves get to think of ourselves as too important. And that's something that I struggle with, definitely, and maybe some of you do too. In my job, I, um, I hold myself to a very high standard, and I feel like a lot of people also hold me to a very high standard. And sometimes I get to think that God also holds me to this very high standard, and there's so many things resting on my shoulders, and I have to get it right all the time. And God reminds me that he calls me to walk humbly with him, which is to remember that nothing rests on my shoulders. It all rests on his shoulders. And all I have to do is walk obediently and submissively behind him, just keeping pace with him. And that's what it looks like. Carry out justice, love faithfulness, live obediently. I've got kind of two last points I want to make, and then I'll wrap things up. And the first one is if you look at these commands, one thing that they are not is they are not a task list. They are not, we don't have a a rubric here. The scripture doesn't say, make the world just. It says, carry out justice. It doesn't say, this is what, it doesn't say, this is what you must do. These are the 10 things you must do. It says, this is how you should live. And so, for me, that's freeing. Because um, what we're seeing is that God is he's pushing us away from this idea of, of performance. You know, he doesn't want our 10,000 rams. He doesn't want our, you know, 10 gallons of olive oil or whatever it is that they're proposing. Instead, he wants us to completely change our hearts. And he wants us to get away from thinking about all the things we have to do. And instead, he wants us to think about how we should be. And again, to me, that is very freeing. There isn't a rubric. I can't measure myself against benchmarks in this passage. So I can't go to bed and say, you passed or you failed today. But I can ask myself, am I living this way? And I think that that is kind of the, God is laying the groundwork here for this new covenant. I know you all have been talking about covenant a lot lately. And so I think that Micah here is laying the groundwork for this new covenant, where we go away from the idea of all the works and all the sacrifices and all the acts that we have to do, and more towards completely renewing our hearts and renewing our minds. And I think that that's what Micah is talking about here. And so... Ultimately, to me, and this is kind of my last point, this is a relief. This burden is really very light. Think about it. Maybe it doesn't sound that way right at first, but if you think about it, God is not requiring very much of us. This this passage, God says, what does the Lord require of you? He's shown you, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? It's just these three things. Do justly, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. And again, for me, this is something that God's actually been speaking to me about um, a lot in the last few months. Because again, I feel this real desire to perform. I want to, well, how am I doing? How am I doing? Like, how, what is, how am I doing compared to what's expected of me? And I come to God with that, and I'm totally exhausted and wiped out and freaked out. I'm like, how am I doing? And he says, <laughs> well, all I've required of you is to do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with me. And so to me, that is a huge weight off of my shoulders because that's not a list of, all, you know, there's not a bunch of check marks I need to check off every day so I know that I'm, I'm okay. You know, there's not a grade I need to get. 
All I need to do is live justly, love mercy, and walk humbly. That's all you need to do too. And so for me, this is what Jesus was talking about when he said, take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let go of all of the standards that you think you're being held to and embrace that this is all the Lord requires of you. That's it. And that to me is such a joyful thought. To do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. Thank you very much.